all right, all right. God is so good, man. I um, I love doing these encounter weekends uh, because it's it's like the most uh, stressful youth event that we can put on. Um, but it's the most rewarding thing that we can do. And I mean, I just want to first, I want to give a huge shout out to my leadership team because you guys are the real rock stars. I put this together, but you guys are the people who made it happen and who are continually at the front lines every week loving on kids, um, which, is, which is just so awesome. Uh, the only other thing I want to say is, um, I forgot to mention this earlier, but we had a bunch of awesome sponsors come alongside us. Uh, we had a provide us with breakfast for this, this morning for our youth. Um, they're awesome. Uh, we also had Trinity Western University, Ambrose University, and Vanguard College all come alongside us and support us financially for this weekend. So all I want to say about that is if you are have like this inkling in your head of maybe I want to check out like higher Christian education. I want to go to like a Christian university or check out what that's like. All three of those schools, they're fantastic and they all have booths in the foyer and they all have promoters who I promised would, told would uh, have that you guys would go and visit them. So um, go check them out. They're awesome. They're awesome. So I'm final session of Encounter Weekend, guys. <laughs> we made it somehow. <laughs> I'm getting youth who are like, oh, that's, that's great. I love you, but I need to go home soon. Um, <laughs> so I want to start us off this morning with a story. Um, a Bible story uh, from, from Genesis 25 about, about two brothers, two twin brothers and I think anybody who has a sibling who maybe, like, especially I find during teenage years, there's a disconnect in between siblings. So anybody who has a sibling, and teenagers especially, you'll relate to this. Anybody who was a teenager at some point will relate to this, I'm sure. Um, but there's these two brothers, Genesis 25, called Jacob and Esau. What's really cool about this story is, in the precursor to this story, we find, we find their parents... Isaac and, and Rebecca, they, they, Isaac is like 60 years old, like, and, and finally Rebecca has, the, has these kids, and it's like this prayer of her heart is, God, just give me children, and then she uh, conceives and uh, finds out she has twins, and they're fighting inside of her womb, and she's like, God, I hate this so much. Why did you bless me so much? And it's like, oh, great. Sometimes blessings can be curses, too. Um, but anyways, these two boys are born, and out comes Esau first. And next, Jacob clutching his brother's heel. And Esau, it says, the Bible says that Esau was a hunter, whereas Jacob was more of a stay-at-home, live-with-his-parents-in-his-parents-basement kind of guy, you know. And so, Genesis 25, 29-34, pick it up here. It says, one day... When Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau arrived home from the wilderness exhausted and hungry. So we just know Esau, he's been out, he's been hunting. I don't know, maybe he's been successful and he's got like a deer carcass on his back. I don't know, I don't know what they hunted in the Middle East at that point in time. Um, but he's tired and he's hungry. And he comes to Jacob and he says, I am starved. Give me some of that red stew. I just love how observant Esau is in this moment. Jacob's making a stew. All Esau sees, there's food. It's red. Give it to me. 
And Jacob, being a, a little bit cunning, being the typical younger sibling trying to undermine the older brother, is like, all right, but first, trade me your rights as the firstborn son. Which essentially meant, you are, you're, as the firstborn, you're supposed to get a double portion of our, our family's inheritance once, our, once my dad dies, I want that double portion of the inheritance. And also when our dad dies, you are supposed to lead the family. I want to do that. And if you give me that, I will give you food. And Esau is like, look, I'm dying of starvation. Have pity on me. I'm so starved. And it's kind of crazy because this just makes me think that Esau is a bit of a drama queen. Because... Like, let's, let's be real. Let's be real. Scientists say that it takes 35 to 40 days without food before you die. If Esau is walking into the, his brother's camp, into his brother's tent, and complaining as much as he is about how hungry he is, he's not about to die. He's just a little bit hangry, that's all. Look, I'm dying of starvation, said Esau. What good is my birthright to me now? But Jacob said, first... You must swear that your birthright is mine. So Esau swore an oath, thereby selling all his rights as the firstborn to his brother Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. What a terrible trade. Sorry, I hate lentils. I'm just like, they're, I'm just like Esau, like, whatever. Esau ate the meal, then got up and left, showing how little he thought of his rights as the firstborn. And what's crazy is that in this moment, Esau made a decision that he would later live to regret. Esau made a decision that would change the course of his life forever, that would set him on a path he did not actually want to travel, to do things he did not actually want to do or needed to do at the time until he sold his birthright to do things that he never expected he would have to do, all because of this one decision. Because sometimes you see, your entire life can be changed by one little decision. And typically it's not just one decision. Typically it's a decision that creates a pattern in your life. But your life can be changed by making a decision. And it might not seem like a big deal at the moment, but your decisions have weight and your decisions have power. And sometimes these little choices, these little decisions, these little things can change the course of your life forever. Sometimes the biggest things we can do in our life are decided by the little things. So I want to talk to you guys this morning on the idea of dealing with the little things. And because it's Encounter Weekend, and our title, our topic for this entire weekend has been Set Free, talking about like how God has set us free from death. God has set us free from addiction. God has set us free from anxiety. God has set us free to be loved. I want to talk to you guys on the topic of boundaries in freedom. How many of you guys have ever made a decision that you immediately regretted. Decision you immediately regretted. 
There's very few hands going up, so I think you guys are just being shy. Let's just be honest. Let's just be honest. My hand's up. Immediately regretted. So I was thinking, I was working on the sermon, and sometimes I struggle coming up with a personal story, but right off the bat, God was like, hey, you should tell this story. I'm like, oh, I haven't remembered that story in forever. But I remember when I was in grade 7, how many of our youth are in grade 7? Throw up a hand. Throw up a hand. I know there's more than that. Come on. Um, Grade seven, I was in grade seven, your guys' age. And in grade seven, I'd been homeschooled until like grade six, and then I went to school in grade seven. So grade seven was like this transition year where I was trying to fit in, and I was trying to make friends, I was trying to look cool in the eyes of my friends. And so the friends that I made were these guys that were like typical boys and were fascinated by weapons. Not just any weapons but guns in particular. Come on, how many people are like, guns are cool? Come on, a couple people are throwing up their hands. I love it. And so I had a bunch of friends who, they loved guns. And I was like, oh, that's awesome. That's so cool. And I just got really involved in it. I was like, oh, guns are so cool. I just wish I had a gun. Because to be honest, to be honest, I'm, I'm I was a bit of a nerd. I still am. I'm a huge nerd. Let's be real. Um, but what I wanted was I wanted to own, like, uh, not a real gun, because that would just be crazy for a grade 7. Um, but I wanted to just have, like, one of those fake, like, BB guns so that when my parents weren't home, I could play, like, cops and robbers in the house. And I could go through the doors and have the gun and just, like, kick down the door and freeze! And, like, point at the gun at nothing, like, just air, just imagining things. Like, I don't know, maybe you guys did that when you were kids, or maybe you do that right now, or maybe I'm just strange. I don't know. But I just really wanted a gun because my friends were talking about them and talking them up, and I was just like, that sounds so cool. But there was one problem. My mom does not like guns. We had a, I don't remember if it was a spoken rule or if it was an unspoken rule that was no guns in the house. No paintball guns, no airsoft guns, no BB guns, no cap guns, no guns in the house. So I had all these friends who had like these huge closets full of BB guns and were just like recess every day just talking about, oh, well, I got this pistol, and it looks like, I don't even know, I don't know what a pistol, what kind of, what a make of a pistol is, but they're like, oh, and I got this airsoft gun, and it looks like an M4 assault rifle, and they're like, oh, that's so cool, and I'm like, okay, that's kind of cool, they're like, Terry, do you have anything? I'm like, no, my mom won't let me. So I remember one day, though, I had this friend, and he had a bunch of guns, and we were talking, and he was like, he heard that I didn't have any at home and that I really wanted them, but my, my mom wouldn't let me. And he's like, hey, I got a spare. I'll bring it to school tomorrow. That's a terrible idea, by the way. By the way, just shout, uh, saying that right now. This was before um, school shootings got really, really, really bad, but it's always a terrible idea to bring any kind of weapon to school. Um, but he's like, I'll bring it to school, I'll give it to you, and you can keep it. Me being in grade seven, I was like, Yes! Score! 
And we go back into class and finish the day, and and my dad drives me home because he was a teacher at the school that I was going to at the time, which was really, really fun because I tried not to get in trouble because I wouldn't be sent down to the principal's office. I'd be sent to my dad's classroom, which is even worse, even worse. And so I I got through the day. My dad drove me home, and just the whole night, I'm just like so stoked. I'm like, I'm getting a BB gun tomorrow. It is going to be amazing. I am so excited. Finally get to bed that night, go to school the next morning, and we're outside for, like, the recess right before school starts. And a friend comes up, and I'm like, you have it? And he's like, yeah, I got it. I'm like, yes! And we, like, look around and make sure that the teachers who are supposed to make sure that there's no guns on the property aren't looking. Um, And, like, go beside kind of a shed. Like, we're in plain view, but not we're being careful and trying to be stealthy and look around, no teachers are looking and he pulls it out of his backpack and hands it to me. I'm like, oh, this is so cool and I shove it in my backpack and just like put my backpack back on. I'm like, nothing, I got. I don't have a gun in my backpack. It's all good, guys. We're good. Go to school for the whole day, gun in my backpack, no big deal. Um, get home and I knew that I needed to hide this gun. Otherwise, I was going to be in so much trouble. I knew I needed to hide it. So what did I do? I, I, I decided the best thing to do was to go into um, the bathroom that me and my brother shared and shove it in my drawer. My toothpaste and, you know, my, my toothbrush and dental floss that I never used and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I just, like, went to the bathroom oh, I got to go pee, Dad, and shove the gun in the, in the drawer. I'm like, yes, this is so cool. I can't wait to be able to play with this gun. And, and, and my mom comes home like a couple, uh, I don't know, an hour or so later, and I'm like, I'm just antsy. I'm just like, I just want to hold this thing. Like, it's so cool. I just want to hold it. We eat dinner. I'm just like the whole time, oh, I just want to hold this thing. Like, oh, my goodness, this is going to be so exciting. And uh, after dinner, I'm just like, I need to wait. I need to wait. I can't get caught with this thing. I'm going to be in so much trouble if I get caught. I need to wait. I need to wait. And finally, I couldn't put up with it anymore. So I walked upstairs into the bathroom and went to the gun. But um, the thing is that you need to understand about this bathroom was, it was basically, this bathroom was a hallway. And on the left side, you had a, a closet where we stored towels. And then you had, like, a little bit farther was the counter with the mirror and whatnot that was kind of inset into the wall a bit. So that it was just, like, a clear pathway all the way to, like, a window, counter on one side, and then shower, bath, and toilet on the other side. But, like, this, air, this bathroom, you could see from almost, like, not everywhere in the house, but a lot of places in the house. It was very, very visible. So I walk into the bathroom, and I make one crucial mistake. I didn't close the door. Didn't close the door. So, reach into the drawer, and I grab it. I'm like, oh, this is so cool. I lift it up, and I'm holding it. I'm like, oh, this is so cool. And the next thing I hear is my mom at the bottom of the stairs, who just happened to be walking by, saying, is that what I think it is? Here's a tip to all the youth in the room right now. When your parents ask you, is that what I think it is, they know the answer to that question. And they just want to see if you're going to own up to it. But I wasn't smart. I didn't own up to it. So I shoved it back in the drawer and stood in front of the drawer. I'm like, what do you think it is, Mom? 
She's like, was that a gun? I'm like, no. As if she wouldn't just go into the drawer. Like, I don't know what I was thinking. I was just standing in front of the drawer like, maybe she won't go into this drawer and it'll be okay. But she, 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 she came up and she looked in the drawer and it was just a moment of instant regret. Followed by a moment of, I'm in grade seven. How do I suck so bad at this? Come on. It's like, I should be better at this. And the worst part of all of this was that I knew there was a punishment coming. I honestly, I don't remember what happened afterwards. But in that moment, I knew there was a punishment coming. Because what I had done had broken my mom's trust. It was a little decision that I immediately regretted that caused an effect, that caused damage in my relationship with my mom. Not significant, because it was just breaking a rule as a grade 7 kid. But still, it caused a disconnect in our relationship. It's a little decision that I immediately regretted. You see, that's the power. There's power in these little decisions. This decision didn't necessarily change my whole life. It didn't necessarily ruin my relationship with my mom. But little decisions carry incredible power. I don't want you guys to get me wrong and to walk away being like, oh no, I have to be careful with every single little decision I make. Otherwise I might slip up and make a mistake and God won't love me then. No, no, what I'm I'm saying is typically what happens is A little decision leads to another little decision, which leads to another little decision, which leads to another little decision, which leads to just another little decision, and eventually you end up in a place that you're like, what am I doing here? How did I get to this place? Because I'm meant to be over there, but I'm over here now because I made these little decisions. See, it's just one little decision to be at work and to get so frustrated, so stressed out, that you lash out at one of your coworkers. And the next day to just get stressed out and worked up that you lash out at your spouse or your significant other. Just one little decision that just frustration that you just start lashing out at people and lashing out at people and lashing out at people and lashing out at people and, out at people and suddenly people are afraid of you. Because you've been making these decisions to lash out when you're angry. It's just one little decision to disconnect from your significant other in a relationship. Just one decision to say, oh, well, I I love them, but I feel like there's a disconnect, and um, maybe they aren't the right person. Just one little decision. Cool. And then you stop telling them things about your life. You stop trusting them. You stop listening to them. And eventually you're like, wait, are they actually the right person? It's like, well, back there, they were definitely the right person for you. you. You chose to commit to them. You chose to be in a relationship with them. You might have chosen to marry them. You chose a commitment. But these little decisions that lead you farther and farther and farther apart and break the relationship. So it's just one little decision to, to listen to a what-if thought. You know, what if I'm driving home from church today and out of nowhere, a drunk driver comes and hits me? Oh, oh no, one little decision to just start 
pondering that. Oh no, what would happen if this were to happen? Why would my life be affected? Oh my goodness, I'm so worried that this is going to happen. This, just these constant little decisions to dwell on these what-if thoughts that lead you into anxiety, lead you into places you don't want to be. Just one little decision to turn on your computer screen and go to sites that you know you shouldn't go to. Just one little decision to trade your birthright for a bowl of soup. Just one decision. It's not necessarily, I know I gave a lot of examples of bad decisions, but it's not just bad decisions that define our lives. Oftentimes, the little decisions that we make also define our lives. Like a decision to believe in Christ. That is a decision that you make in a moment that begins to define your life. And after you make that decision to believe in Christ, you have the choice to continue to make decisions to follow Christ day after day after day, or to be like, ah, he was cool at Encounter Weekend 2019, but I don't really like him anymore, and just go the other way. Just these little decisions. And the problem is not that we make these decisions. The problem is when we begin to make the wrong decisions. Making those decisions continually. Continually choosing to walk the wrong path, to do the wrong thing, to do what we know we shouldn't do. Because it's in those moments that we start to find ourselves caught in addictions, caught in anxiety, caught in depression. And I know like anxiety and depression are also mental health issues, so it's not always just these little decisions, but these little decisions can affect what you're dealing with. These little decisions that find, cause us to find ourselves in places that we know we don't belong, in places we don't want to be anymore, but find ourselves trapped. Because in that moment, it was just trading away your birthright for a bowl of soup. You didn't realize the cost that would carry. And in that moment of weakness, Esau, hungry and tired, he traded away his birthright. He traded away this great gift that the firstborn son receives, this gift that he can't get back for a bowl of soup, for a moment of instant pleasure, a moment happiness. And you know, I'll be honest. In the past when I've read this passage of Scripture, and maybe you're with me on this, um, I've always read this passage of Scripture and been like, Esau, you idiot! Are you kidding me, Esau? How dumb do you have to be? Like, is nobody home? Come on, Esau! Get it together. Get your life together. Because it's so easy to look at somebody else's life and judge them based on your perception of what's going on. Because you're not walking in their shoes. I'm just like, Isa, you're so stupid. Like, how could you make this decision? You, you don't even understand what you're doing in your life. How could you do this to yourself? But this past, I think it was two weeks ago when I was working on this message, God, I was praying, like, God, what do you want me to say to this church? What do, you want, what, what do you want to be conveyed to your people, God? What do you want to use me to say? 
And he's like, I want you to read the story of Jacob and Esau. I'm like, okay. It's like Genesis 25. Well, actually, he didn't say that. At first, I Googled it because I could not remember where it was, to be honest. I knew it was in Genesis, but I was like 25, 15? I don't know. Anyways, um, and I was reading this passage through the same lens I've always read it. And I was like, Esau, you moron. Why would you do this? Why would you trade away such a, something so valuable? And in that moment, God spoke to me. I don't really like what he said because he's like, you know that you've done the exact same thing as Esau before, right? I was like, oh, shoot. That's right. See, a while back, and I've told this story before at Encounter Week in 2018, told this story, but a while back in my life, I, I was struggling with an addiction to pornography. And it was this ongoing struggle. It was, for me, it was this moment of just curiosity that led me to places that I didn't want to be, and not knowing what was going on, I found myself trapped in a place I didn't want to be in an addiction that I didn't want to be dealing with. I felt lost and alone and, and so filled with shame because, oh, this thing is so bad for me, but I can't break free. And I wanted freedom. I desperately wanted freedom more than anything. But it seemed so elusive. It seemed so distant. I would read scriptures in the Bible, all these different Bible stories, all these different passages, like passages in Luke, Luke 4, where Jesus is like, hey, Spirit, I have come. The Spirit of the Lord is here. He's come upon me, and he has anointed me to be hope for the poor, freedom for the brokenhearted, new eyes for the blind, and to preach to the captives. You are set free. And I'd read this passage, and I'd look, and I'd be like, wait, no, Jesus didn't say, you will be set free if you do this, 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 and this. No, it was a declaration. You are set free. Not you do this, and you will be, but a declaration of who you actually are, an identity. And I'd read stories in, in Acts, and if you guys have a chance, I'd re- highly recommend read Acts and just take note of every time the, the apostles and the disciples are in prison. Because it's very interesting. Acts 5, find the apostles are locked up in a prison. What happens? Angel of the Lord comes. Prison doors are opened. They leave. Next, Peter is arrested. And it's very interesting, the progression. Because the next time the apostles are thrown in, or an apostle is thrown in jail... Peter's arrested, and he is sent to jail with 16 guards all around him. That tells me they were scared that he would escape. What happens? Well, they put him in a cell. They chain him to the floor. They have two guards on his left and on his right, and guards all around the prison surrounding it. Middle of the night, angel of the Lord comes. He's like, wait, is this a dream? And the angel's just like walking through jail bars, and Peter walks out of the prison. And he's like, oh, this isn't a dream. Walks out. Later on, Acts, Acts 16, Paul and Silas are in a, in a town, and they meet this demonized woman, and she's annoying them, which is, I love this story so much, because Paul, just out of spite, because he's so annoyed about this demonized woman bugging him for so long in the town, he turns to her and he says, in the name of Jesus, get out of her, and the demons flee, and this girl was a, was a slave, and her slave owners were not very happy that he did this, so Paul and his friend Silas are thrown in prison, and they're thrown in the inner chamber of the prison, 
behind so many locked doors, the most secure room in the prison. They're chained up, and then they're worshiping. And the chains fall off, and the prison doors open, and they are set free. Just constant stories through the Bible of freedom, of God making a way out of places where people don't want to be. Because the will of God is always that we will be free. That's why Jesus, when he said, when he came to this planet, when he preached for one of the first times in the hometown of Nazareth in Luke 4, that's why he said, and preach to the captives, you are set free. Because that's the will of God, is that each and every one of us live in freedom. He doesn't want us to be shackled to addiction, to anxiety, to depression, to, to fear, to anger. He doesn't want us to be struggling with these things. He's calling us to freedom. But my problem was that the stories I would read in Scripture and my life would not line up. And I was just struggling to find this freedom. And I remember one day, I was, I was really struggling. It was a hard day. I was just like, God, you said that you set captives free. God, you've done so much work in other people's lives and set people free. Why aren't you doing it for me? And he says these words to me that I will never forget because it changed my entire perspective on freedom. And I heard his voice, not audibly, just inside my head. And he said, I have already set you free. I'm like, but, but God, wait a second. You're saying that you've already set me free, but I'm still struggling, God. How can I be set free if I'm dealing with these temptations, if I'm dealing with these problems right now? And it took the next couple of years because I'm very stubborn and very thick-headed. God teaching me this principle of freedom is not the absence of struggle. Freedom is a state of being. Freedom is an identity. Who we are is free. And so it's our choice to choose to live out that freedom or to remain in captivity. And for so long, struggling with this addiction, I'm hoping for freedom, but I was missing the freedom Jesus had already given to me. And what happened is whenever I'd find moments where I'd be walking in freedom, I would turn around in moments of weakness. And like Esau, I'd trade away my freedom for just a moment of pleasure. Trade away my birthright for a bowl of soup. Because the reality is that being free means that we have the freedom to give up the freedom God has given us. Being free, see, there's this really cool principle in the Bible called free will, where God said, I love my children so much that I'm not going to be the master puppeteer and make them do everything perfectly right, but we have free will to choose to do what's right or to choose to do what's wrong. And, being, and what that means is that when we are set free, we have the freedom to give that freedom up in a moment of weakness. God can set you free in a moment. And I believe he already has. But you have the freedom to give it up. 
See, the issue is that being set free and living in freedom are two very different things. One has already happened. The other requires daily decisions to keep walking in the freedom. See, there's this cool pastor down in L.A. named Erwin McManus, and he said this. He said, just because you're free to choose doesn't mean that your choices bring freedom. I mean, it's so true. It's because we have the free will, we have the freedom to choose to do whatever we want doesn't mean that our choices will bring us freedom. And the reality is that living in freedom requires boundaries. And I know this sounds completely counterintuitive. It sounds completely stupid. Wait, if I'm free, I have to have boundaries? What? I can't just do whatever I want and, and say whatever I want and act however I want and expect to live in freedom? Well, the reality is, is, is no, and we need to learn, we need to change the way we view freedom. See, the issue with freedom is that we think about being free as we think of freedom as being free to do whatever we want without fear of consequences. If I'm free to do whatever I want, I can get down off the stage and I can punch Bailey in the face with no consequences. That's what a lot of people think freedom. I can, I can, if I'm Living in freedom, that means I can go home after the service today and fire up my computer or grab my phone and go to a site that will show me images that are not reality, but images that make me feel happy for a moment and that make me feel shame afterwards and not feel the consequences. It's like, no, 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 no. When you, your actions carry consequences and they affect you and they affect the people around you. We think of freedom as being free to do whatever we want without consequences, as if freedom is a jail cell that we just need to escape, and once we get out, we're good. But the reality of freedom is that God will make you make a way out of your jail cell. But you have the freedom to stay there. He can open the prison doors. He can open them wide open. Say, you're free. And you can just sit there and be like, God, why won't you set me free? It's like, walk out. And in a moment, the reality of freedom is that you, even if you do walk out and you start walking in freedom, the moment of weakness, you can just turn around and be like, ah, oh, I just need this right now and go back right to the prison cell. Because that's what freedom does. That's what freedom is. We have the choice to trade our birthright for a bowl of soup in a moment of weakness. Because true freedom that lasts requires boundaries. Let me illustrate this for you guys. Nick, my buddy Nick is going to come up on stage now and join me for a moment. Come on. Come on, Nick. Come on. Come on, come on. See, Nick here, he's one of our fantastic youth. He's in grade seven. He's amazing. Um, I love him so much. But Nick here is going to help me out with this illustration, okay? All right. So just for now, I just want you to stay here, okay? All right. So 
I want you guys to picture this. Picture this drum cage here is whatever situation you are tired of. Whatever situation you want to be free of. Whatever addiction, whatever mental illness, whatever anger problem, whatever it is, that this is that jail cell that you're stuck in. Symbolizes the prison cells that we keep locking ourselves in. And the reality is that once you're, when you're in this prison cell, Jesus is opening the door. Just what's happening, but I can just choose to sit here and be like, oh, this drum's cool. Cool, great. Yay, Jesus, will you set me free? He's like, the door's open. And so I have the choice to stay in here or, 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 or to walk out. And the reality is that once we get out, we typically don't want to go back to the place where we've been, to the place where we felt trapped, to the place where to the, there's all the problems that we've been dealing with. We typically don't want to go back, but the issue is that in moments of weakness, it's very easy to be walking in freedom and then be like, ooh, I'm tired and hungry. I want to give you my birthright for a bowl of soup. I'm just going to lock myself in here again. And it's like, we shut the door, and Jesus is like, the door's unlocked. And we're like, God, set me free. And he's like, the door's unlocked. Just get out. And we get out, and we walk in freedom, and we're like, you struggle. Yeah, I'm free, finally. Walk in freedom, and then moment of weakness, go right back. See, the reality is that God sets us free from the prison But our habits, our thoughts, our patterns, our friends, the things we see on Instagram, the things we read, things we watch on Netflix, things all around us can lead us right back to the place where we don't want to be. And the reality is, to help yourself in those moments of weakness, you need to create a boundary. And boundaries sound complicated, but they're really, really simple. Nick here is going to be my boundary. So Nick, I just want you to just, just stand here and don't let me get over there. Okay? Okay? So let's say I've been in there. I'm walking in freedom. Moment of weakness comes. And I'm like, I want to go back. I want to go back. Oh, oh no, there's a, there's a boundary. There's something that's stopping me. Something that's preventing me from going back. I'm trying to get back, but I, oh, I have somebody in my life that's keeping me accountable. I've, I've cut out things in my life that draw me back there. I have people who are walking alongside me who are just preventing me and saying, no, Darian, you're better than this. You don't need to do this. Boundary and freedom is just getting something in the way. So that in a moment of weakness, you won't trade your freedom for a moment of pleasure. You won't trade your birth rate for a bowl of soup. Just moment of weakness. Esau, if, if he had boundaries, he could have been like going up to Jacob, oh, I want to trade my birth rate for a bowl of soup, and had his friend, no, you're an idiot. Just go to your mom. Your mom loves you. She'll give you soup for free. Why are you going to Jacob to do it? Like, come on, Jacob's saying give you, his you need to give your birthright for him to give, give, give you soup. Well, guess what? Just go to the next tent, grab your mom, and have her yell at him because that's not right. It's creating these boundaries. And what this means is getting people 
in your life who know your story, who know your struggle, who will keep you accountable. Getting things out of your life that would cause you to want to go back there. See, if, if you're so caught up in comparing yourself to others, the worst thing you can do is go on social media every single day. Because social media is a place where people present the best aspects of their life and never show the garbage that is behind the scenes. And, and then you go on and you're like, oh, their life is so good and mine sucks. And it's like, no, you, you're on social media. If you're struggling with comparing yourself to others, then why go on social media, which will just lead you right back to the place where you don't want to be? It's getting things out of your life, getting people in your life to help you and getting things out of your life. And also getting things into your life that will build you up and help you to live out that freedom. See, the reality is that we need these things. We need these people. We need people alongside us. We need friends in our lives. We need God in our lives to help us create these boundaries, to help us live in freedom. Thanks, Nick. You can grab a seat. Come on, come on. I know it kind of sounds like really silly, but that's the reality. Boundaries and freedom are not a complicated thing. They're just a process of analyzing your life and recognizing what is good and keeping those things. And recognizing what is bad and what is leading you to places you don't want to be and cutting those things out of your life no matter how painful that might be. Whether that means cutting out a friend who's toxic and is tearing you down, deleting an app off your phone, getting rid of a smartphone because it's incredibly easy in this day and age to get caught up with our phones and to think, compare ourselves or to go to places we don't want to go online because we have these smart devices. I know a bunch of people who are like, I want to be free of an addiction to porn. So what did they do? They got rid of their phone. And they bought a flip phone. And people are like, why do you have a flip phone? And they're like, I'm just old school. And it's like, what? But the reality is that they're, they're trying to create that boundary. They're trying to protect themselves. See, in order to remain free, we need to deal with the little things. We need to deal with the little things deal with the little things. No, I don't know you guys' story. I know some of you guys, but in a room this size, I don't even know all of your names. I don't know your struggle. I don't know your story, but I do know this. You don't need to go on living your life doing things that you hate. You don't need to go on living your life doing things that you don't want to do, being stuck in places that you don't want to be. You don't have to go on living life, a life full of anxiety. You don't have to go on living a life full of depression. You don't have to go on living a life full of addiction. You don't have to go on living a life full of anger. You don't have to go on living a life full of resentment. You don't have to live a life going, uh, going on with unforgiveness. You don't have to live a life worrying so much about what others think about you. You don't need to go on living a life where you trade your birthright away in a moment for a bowl of soup. Because 
you see, I came here today to tell you that no matter what your struggle is, it doesn't matter how many times you've messed up or how horrible you might feel in a moment. It doesn't matter if you're dealing with anxiety or shame, anger. It doesn't matter. Because I believe Jesus is here. And he is in the business of setting captives free. And here's the deal. When Jesus calls you to do something, he doesn't say, live free and then leave you high and dry. No, when Jesus calls you to go somewhere, when Jesus calls you to do something, he equips you to do what he has called you to do. And so when Jesus declares you are set free, it's not just a declaration of who you are, but it's him giving you the strength, giving you the might to deal with the difficult things, to deal with the problems, to walk in a relationship with him, and to walk in freedom. Part of living in freedom is living with self-made boundaries that you set up to protect your freedom. What I want to do today, I've got a few things I want to do. First of all is this. Friday night we saw approximately 25 kids give their lives to Christ. I wasn't planning on doing this originally, but... What I want us to do is, I want everyone to just close your eyes. Close your eyes. Nobody looking around. I just want to give the opportunity if you're here and there's a struggle in your life or you're here and you don't know Jesus and you want to be free but you don't have that relationship with Jesus. You see, the Bible tells us that, that Jesus came to earth and he died one of the most horrific deaths possible the hands of the Roman Empire, because the Roman Empire just is like, is this the most painful way to die? No. Okay, we're going to try a new thing. Is this the most painful way to die? They perfected the way of torturing somebody to death, and that's how Jesus died. Jesus came to earth, and he died for love. He died to love you, and he died to set you free. And so if you're here, and you have never made a decision to believe in Jesus In a moment, I'm going to count to three, and I want you to just slip your hand up and just hold it up for a second, and then I'll let you guys put it down. One, Jesus loves you. Two, your life will never be the same. Three, if you want to believe in Jesus, if you want to begin that relationship, just slip your hand up. Slip your hand up across this place. Come on, come on. Don't let a moment go by without living out your life with Jesus. Come on. Scott, thank you guys. You can slip your hands back down. Come on. The second thing I want to do is if you're here today and you're struggling with freedom, struggling with something in your life that you want to deal with but you don't know how to deal with it, there's something inside you. You have this desperate desire to get rid of something that is hindering your life. 
something that is holding you back, something that you're so filled with shame and worry about. What I want you to do, and this is going to totally be awkward, and I love it, because Jesus likes to meet us in awkward places. What I want you to do is, if you want to be free here today, come down to the front right now and kneel the front here. If you want to be free, if you're struggling with an addiction, if you're struggling with anxiety, if you're struggling with depression, if you're struggling with unforgiveness, if you're struggling with something in your life that you just want to be free of, don't hesitate. Come down now and kneel. Jesus wants to meet you here. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. If you want to live in freedom, if you want to be free, don't wait. Come on, come on. Thank you, guys. Come on, come on, come on. There's something inside you that's saying, go up, but I'm just so nervous. What are other people going to think about me? Screw them. Who cares what they think about you? This is a moment between you and God. They don't know what's going on in your life. This is a moment between you and God. Second thing, if you're struggling with anything, or maybe you're living in freedom right now, but you know that later today or later this week or later this month that there will be a moment of struggle where you might slip, you might fall, you might go back to that prison that you don't want to go to. If that's you as well, come down and just kneel. Because part of living in freedom is realizing that you are set free and we'll and having that declared over your life, and having Jesus encounter you in incredible ways and, and bringing that freedom to fruition in your life. And part of it is also just learning to walk with Jesus. Learning to walk with Jesus and have him guide you. Have him pour out his love upon you. Prayer team, wherever you guys are, if I can get you guys just to come up and start laying your hands on these people. up and start laying your hands on these people. Don't ask them what's going, what's going on in their life. Just pray over them. And anybody who's at the front kneeling, if you're here and you still want to come up, feel free. Anyone who's at the front kneeling, all I want you guys to do is this. Ben's going to start playing a song. I just want you to worship God. I don't want you to focus on your problem I don't want you to focus on your struggle. I just want you to take that moment to worship God. Let God meet you where you are. 